you are listening to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. Integrity, commitment, kindness, and flexibility are at the core of Cambridge's values and drive the spirit of Cambridge. Join our host, Cambridge CEO Amy Weber, for each Cambridge Stronger episode as she invites financial professionals to offer insight on how they integrate values and purpose in their care for their investing clients. You'll hear stories on how they got their start, as well as why they are in the advice profession. Now here's Amy. Welcome to Cambridge Stronger. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and today I'm joined by Lisa Heath of Financial Partners of Louisiana. Thanks for coming on the show, Lisa. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. So looking forward to hearing from you today. So it's really hard for me to believe that you and I are old enough to have been working together almost 20 years, but I'm thrilled to be able to share you and your story with our audience. So maybe let's start with a conversation around how you got started in this profession. How did you get where you are today? I was really lucky because I I grew up in the profession. My dad in 1969 joined a large insurance company. And so I grew up going to conferences with my dad as a family. That would be our family vacation. So for you know, until I was in college, that's what we would do for family vacations. I graduated with a degree in finance and tried to do everything else but work in finance. But I eventually came back to Louisiana with my husband, who is an economics professor. My dad said, look, why don't you come to work with me? And I just thought, oh, God, I can't do that. (laughs) I can't work with my dad. I can't sell insurance. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. Don't worry about selling insurance. We do like mutual funds and all that kind of stuff now. So at the time, I was also working on my master's in education. And I thought I'd just take a break from that and work with him for a couple of years just to see if I liked it. And at the end of every year, I would look at the things I was able to accomplish in the financial services business versus what I thought I could be doing in teaching. And after about three or four years, I just stopped comparing and never looked back. And I was really lucky because my dad was a great mentor and protected me a lot from the good old boy network. So I was, I was very lucky in that respect. The insurance company was a good enough fit for the early part in my career, but I started a, a year or two after I joined, started thinking about things logically about, well, you know, because of course they want you to sell insurance products, of course. And I'm like, well, this, what if they don't need that? How, how do I even figure out what they need? So I started my CFP way back in the late 80s, early 90s, so that I could have some sort of framework to figure out, okay, I'm meeting with all these folks. How do I figure out what they need? And so that was sort of a a guiding track for me to to figure out. It It had to be very logical of, you know, here's a problem. Here's the solution. Let's go ahead and implement it. So using the, the knowledge that I've that I've received from the CFP certification and all the continuing educations that you have to get. In 2001, a group of local CPAs sought out a certified financial planner to partner with because this was the first year that they could get into the business for compensation. And we talked. I didn't know them. They didn't know me. And basically, they said, look, we can write this 
new business sort of from scratch. There's no preconceived notions of, of how it should be done since we've never done it before. So it was a great opportunity to create a business plan, a financial plan for for us as partners, but um, for how we wanted to run the business. And we agreed on certain things that were important. One of those was independence. That's how we came to Cambridge. It's kind of funny. We had literally a headhunter from the back of a financial magazine looking for BDs that we had a pretty long list of this is what they had to have and not have. And there were three on the short list. Cambridge was one of them. We did a phone interview. I think we talked with maybe Jim Guy, maybe Eric, and we decided to join. We'd never been to Cambridge. We'd never, it was just a phone interview. We said, we like these guys. <laughs> so we joined. That was in August of 2001. It was a, an interesting time because a month later, 9-11 happened, and we were really glad that we had made the choice that we, we made because Cambridge was flexible and kind and had a lot of integrity when it, they were trying to help us go through some really scary times because we were opening in the world, stock market world as we know it was crashing. So that's how we ended up with the CPAs and, and we just never looked back because we could do the kind of things that we knew was right for our clients without having to sacrifice the things that were so important to us, which is independence and you know, doing what was right for the client, regardless of what company we used. It's an honorable profession. I wish everybody would approach things like that for sure in our industry. Of course they do at Cambridge, but you know, from an industry perspective, clients would be well served if everybody talked their way through that type of a business plan. So Lisa, let's pivot just a little bit and talk about so many people would really, I believe, feel blessed and fortunate to just have a CPA firm want an alliance with them that, that didn't know and came knocking at their door. And it doesn't happen that easily sometimes. And I'm sure it wasn't as easy as it sounds as you're talking about it now. And also, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of those partners of yours ended up being male. So let's talk about what could someone do and, and what should they be thinking about if some sort of an alliance happens to show up on their doorstep? And then what were the challenges you faced being the token woman inside of the practice and, and the adversity that you had to work through? All my partners were male and, and were until two years ago when the only female CPA partner became a Cambridge advisor too. So I don't know that I felt at a disadvantage. The way I looked at it, and I think the way that they came to see it over the years is that the female and male advisors working together are so much stronger than just females working together, just males working together. And we noticed that, especially if we were working with couples, and we, we tended to work with couples or business owners, and most of the business owners were male, that I picked up on different things about the client than the CPA. And it made it much stronger because we were hitting all of the, the targets in terms of just the, the black and white numbers, but also the subjective, this is what is important to them that's not really showing up on their spreadsheets or their profit and losses. And it, 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 especially when we worked with older couples, a lot of times I'd, I'd go to meetings with the CPAs and, and we'd say, well, what's his wife like? And they would say, well, you know, I've never met her. I, I don't 
know anything about her. And he's like, why? And I'm like, because she's going to end up with the company and all the assets. She's going to need help, certainly when her husband passes or becomes disabled, because statistically, that's generally what happens. And, and so it brought to their mind a different aspect of working with clients in the financial sense that they've never seen. So I think with professionals, if a female wanted to create an alliance, I think they would probably need to focus on why the alliance would be better, probably better than status quo for their clients. You're bringing more to the table for them. The other thing is that the CPAs a lot of times see things just in dollars and cents. So once they understand that the work that they would be doing with their clients on the financial planning and investment advising side is not about billable hours, the light bulb goes off in their head. They're like, oh, oh wait, you mean I don't have to bill X number of hours to create the sort of income that I can get by doing this additional work for them. And so I think that the two things I would take away is one, if you could explain to your potential partners, CPAs or attorneys or whomever you want to work with, what's in it for the client? And that is a more comprehensive, holistic look at the things that are important to them, which it may not have anything to do with finances. It may be something com completely different. And having the male-female experience brought together with them, you get to see, they get to see a lot more value of the team than just, you know, a single person. And the second, what's in it for the CPA? What we've discovered in our firm is that the, the CPA clients become very sticky. So when a CPA retires, they sell their book of business. Sometimes that's a good opportunity for clients to, to find another CPA. But if we're also doing their planning and their investment advisory work, they think two or three times before they, they want to leave their CPA. So it helps the CPA practice become more valuable. It helps the financial planning side become more valuable, which is, that was not something that we thought about, but it was sort of a, a nice result. And what our clients find is that we do a much better job when the CPA and the financial planning investment people are working together. They, they all know what's going on. Going back to something that you said earlier when you were telling us how your journey began, you talked about the fact that your father was protective of you in the good old boy environment. How did he do that? And it doesn't necessarily have to be father-daughter, I suppose, but if, if there's a senior partner that's trying to bring a female colleague into the business, how might he think about that? And what were the things that your dad did to protect you? Well, he, he really just told me one thing that I've always tried to focus on, and that is if you take care of your clients, you'll never have to look for clients. So I was moving back to a town that I hadn't lived in since high school, 10 or 15 years, you know, from the time I, I came back into to my town. So I didn't know a lot of people that were here. And he just said, Lisa, look, if you just take care of my clients and, and the clients that you get, it doesn't, you don't have to make those Monday night phone calls. You don't have to work nights. You don't have to work weekends. You know, you're a young mother and your husband is starting you know, his career. He goes, you don't have to do any of that stuff if you just take care of my clients. And that was huge because back in the day when I started, you know, the 
the whole sales system was you got to, it's about numbers. You have to make a hundred phone calls to get in touch with, you know, 50 of them to be able to talk to 30 of them to be able to see 10 and close two. So I really just focused on taking really good care of the clients that I have. And they, they weren't great. And in terms of dollar wise clients, big, huge clients, but I'm always amazed that taking care of the, the small clients, what we would consider small clients, pays dividends down the road that, that you had you had no idea. I, I'll, I'll get someone or that'll call and say, oh, you took, you helped so-and-so, you know, file that death claim and that money meant everything in the world. And they just said that you really were compassionate and did a good job. And so I, I'm calling you because I'm selling my company and I need some somebody that has that kind of attention to detail. So if you just take care of your clients, you never have to look for clients. That was how he protected me from getting beat up with this mindset of I have to make 100 calls today or I'm a failure. And I don't know if it's if growing up in the South had anything to do with it, but the guys in my profession tend to be very respectful and polite to the females. So I, I just think that that probably had something to do with it. I think what, what happens nowadays, what is so nice is that that younger generation, that the mindset has changed and they don't really see, oh, she's a girl. She can't do what I need to do. I think they see, oh, she's a girl. She's going to kick my behind if I don't get on it because they're going to be more prepared, you know, more educated and, and more determined to succeed because they are sort of that minority in our profession. I could not agree more. I, I, I'm very inspired by, I know we have a long ways to go yet in our industry, but very inspired by the way that I see the generations that followed us interacting with each other from a, a diversity perspective. It's a really good thing. I think we have to get the word out to the females that it isn't any longer what you described. I still think there are some obstacles. I don't know if you agree in terms of uh, understanding exactly what our business, your business is about. And so the louder we can scream that from the rooftops, the better off we will be in building the numbers as well. That takes me to another interesting point that I think our audience would love to understand, which is that you talked about what I interpreted, what I heard was somewhat of an accidental path with your dad into this career. And then what you've done generationally is also inspired someone in your life that's special to you to also love perhaps a different aspect of it, but love some of our business. Do you want to talk about whether or not that was out of the gate? Did she always know your daughter? Did she always know that uh, she wanted to be like mom in some way? She's definitely one of those kick butt females. I'm blessed to know her. So let's talk about her for a minute. That's funny because she literally can say she was attending client appointments before she was born. <laughs> I literally had a meeting Monday morning and she was born Monday afternoon. She... I don't know. And I think part of this goes back to the things I learned when I was getting uh, an education degree on top of that finance was there are some talents that you are just born with and some that you can acquire. And I call it the number gene. There's there's some people or some kids that just have the math or the number gene. She was one of them. She could 
count, she could conceive of the, the, the number five without having to use her fingers. You just have the math gene. She had it. And she is very competitive and likes to do fun things, which take cash, money to do so. So she was always very good at math. She was, and I think what she saw was that I had a pretty good life. My mom's able to take off and, you know, haul me around the South for soccer tournaments or take off and pick us up at school at three if we needed a ride. So she saw the flexibility that I had and the fact that people would come up to us and say, oh, yeah, do you know your mom helped me do such and such? Because our town's not that big. And so I think that appealed to her because she's a very compassionate, helping kind of person. And she went to Alabama, studied finance, did well. And she said, you know, I really like this. I I don't know that I, I could do the sales side at this point, but what should I do? And I said, look, you know, get as much education as you can. So she got her master's in finance from the University of Limerick in Ireland and came back to work with a great company in Charlotte, North Carolina. And she was sort of lucky because she joined them just as they were starting to explode in terms of offerings and and employees. And so she was she was really lucky that she got in what I think is sort of the ground level and and loves it. And she just informed me that she's starting her CFP studies in about a month. Congratulations. Yeah, Queens College. She says, you know, I was meeting with some friends and they were saying, well, you know, what should I do with this this rollover? What should I tell them? <laughs> so I sent her some just basic articles that we send, you know, our, our young clients. She said, and after the, the dinner, that was all very informal. She said, I kind of like telling people what what to do. <laughs> I said, "Oh, you're a little bit bossy like your mother, aren't you?" And and what I think young women need to hear is that we are naturally planners because we can multitask. That is just something that's on the Y chromosome, and as a planner, you have to be thinking about lots of things at once. There are lots of moving parts, and women are are very capable of doing very high technical finance if, if they were given the opportunity and the tools to learn how to do it. Some of the best planners I know are females. There's some of my male counterparts that are so much better at other things than I am, but as a planner, I think I got them beat. I think you do too. <laughs> I think you do too. And you've done a great job raising a very bright, personable, and, and this is maybe something I think that also gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, even if they have the numbers gene, as you called it, they can also have the people skills, the emotional intelligence to really tap into that second piece that you were just talking about. And just from a distance and observation, I know you have it and so does Alice. So congratulations on raising such a, an awesome young lady. Lisa, let's shift gears again and talk about what motivates you today. It may be different than what motivated you to get into the business 20 years ago, but what is it that continues to motivate you to do what you do, the honorable work that you do? So I'm a doing person. And as I, you know, I'm, I'm closer to the end of the career than at the beginning. And so what motivates me today is making sure that the people that I've begun working with, that, that I've been working with for 20 years and the ones I've been working with for 20 days 
will continue to have a place where they can go to get the kind of help that they need and want and deserve. So my focus now is more on not necessarily new client accumulation, but setting up a process so that I can transition over for the next generation of advisors. And that's that's what keeps me coming to the office and doing things. So the last couple of months have been really rough. I've lost probably half a dozen clients, some expected and, and a few not expected. And I realized that it's good that I'm here right now, but this is not going to stop happening. And I want to make sure that we have people and philosophies in place so that we can continue helping that next generation that's coming. And I get very excited talking to the younger generation of some of my clients, those maybe 35 and under. They so want our help and they ask for it. And I think they're going to need it because their world is, I think, going to be very different than the world that I grew up in and the business that I came into. That's what keeps me going today. I'm very interested in building new systems, new businesses. I like to make things with my hands, with my mind, and that's that's what keeps me going today. That's great. Again, another really, really strong point for our listeners is I think some financial advisors choose intentionally not to work with that next generation because you alluded to this earlier, most of them aren't born with a six-figure income or you know a big lump sum to invest with a financial advisor. They really need the planning component of it instead of perhaps the out-of-the-gate investment component of it, I think. And so it's wonderful that you are spending the time that you spend on building something that can support that kind of generation. So congratulations and thank you for doing that. What do you enjoy outside of work, if anything? You were a, a mom and built a fantastic career, and sometimes that's all we have time to do at a certain stage in our lives. But tell our uh, listeners today, what is it that you like to do when you aren't working? So I alluded to the fact that I like to build things, and I don't mean just philosophically. I literally like to work with my hands. So I do pottery. I knit. I like to garden. I like to cook. I like to make things with my hands. I don't know how to explain it. And I love to travel. My husband and I luckily have had the opportunity through my work as well as through his teaching career to, to travel to some very interesting places. And I love learning about new places, new things, history. And as anyone who's ever traveled with me, they know they'll say, okay, here's the school part of it. We're going to the Hopi village out in Arizona because Lisa just wants to crawl around these little places and see where people lived all those you know hundreds of years ago. So travel is a big thing. Being active with my hands are a big thing. And I love to read. So there's just always something going on at, at our house. The teacher and the lifelong learner is coming out. It is. And that's, that's what's so funny. I would have never thought that about me, but I'm discovering in my later decades that I could probably be a student forever to go back and learn all kinds of stuff. If only your 529 plan would last, right? That's... <laughs> One other thing before we wrap up here that for our listeners, I want to just have you speak again a little bit about the flexibility of this career. And I do think that that also ends up often being a perception 
that creates obstacles for the next gen getting into our business and embracing our business and how important it is for them to know that you can have that balance and raise a family at the same time or if you don't want to raise a family but it's some other component of the life balance definition that you really do have the ability to run your own day right to to structure things the way you need to can you touch on that just a little bit sure so for the traditional sort of family this is a great career for anyone who wants to to have it all, to have a, a family, a philanthropy that they're very involved with, to be a supportive spouse. The thing about this business is it's a good thing, bad thing. The good thing is that you can come into it and make it whatever you want it to be. But the bad thing is that you can come into it and make it whatever you want to be. And there's so many choices. You, you have to decide how you want to narrow that down. And sometimes that, that's really hard. But the flexibility that this career has given me, not only in terms of just physically hours at the office, but the types of people I work with, the kind of work that I do, how involved or not I get with a client is huge. It's, it's never boring. And you feel at the end of the year that you have made a difference in, in people's lives, a, a positive difference. And I've had friends that became clients said, you know, I don't know what I'd have done without you. And I feel sort of silly to think that I can't believe they're, they're thinking that because I don't think what I do is all that difficult, but it, it means so much to them. And that's gratifying to me. I mean, I don't know of any, any other work that I could have done. And I, I'm the oldest of six kids. So, and all of us have gone different paths. So I've seen how different paths can play out and they were great for my siblings. I just don't know that I could have done anything differently than what I've done and be as happy, as healthy, as wealthy in terms of not only monetary wealth, but just the emotional wealth of I'm doing something good for, for other people. I can't imagine another career that I could have I've had that those same feelings about. And so, you know, it doesn't matter if you're I mean, certain as a female, it's a really good job to get into because we have a lot of the innate characteristics that make a good planner and make a good business partner. We're very flexible. We multitask. We tap into that. Doing good will also help you do well. I think maybe there was a greater power involved in uh, putting me on this path, even though I tried to do everything else but work in finance. You know, I wanted to be an interpreter at the UN. Go figure. This was meant to be, my friend, meant <laughs> to was. be. It absolutely was. And I am so lucky. I have the luckiest, the luckiest life. And I love it. You are the absolute perfect example of Cambridge Stronger. I'm so glad that you agreed to come on my show and share yourself and your journey with our listeners. We'll just keep on making a difference and living those values. So thank you so much. And thank you, Amy, for allowing folks like me to find a, a home that we feel like we can be ourselves and do the kind of work we want to do. And and make a difference. And I know a huge part of that comes from the top down. And since you're at the top, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Stronger when united. Yes. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Cambridge Stronger. Amy Weber and her guests enjoy sharing these insightful stories on why they became independent financial professionals, as well as client success stories. New episodes are available monthly in your favorite podcast venues. We are Cambridge Stronger.